It's Monday, October 14th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. As chaos continues to grow in Syria, President Trump has ordered all U.S. troops to withdraw from the north to avoid a conflict between Turkey and the Kurds. This will likely be a pullback of about 1,000 troops. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us for this, another resignation at the top of DHS, and the latest on the impeachment inquiry. Next, a Florida inmate filmed the secret documentary about the conditions inside Martin Correctional Institution. With oversized glasses that had cameras attached to them and a hollowed out Bible with a hidden camera in it, Scott Whitney filmed other inmates passed out on synthetic drugs, fights, mold covering kitchen walls, and more. Romy Ellenbogen, reporter for the Miami Herald, joins us for what these hidden recordings show. Finally, how do you feel about eating alone? At home, Americans eat 45% of all meals alone, and single diners at restaurants comprise about a quarter of party sizes. But while hectic schedules are the main cause of solo dining, many people say that they like to eat alone, and food companies are taking notice. Ellen Byron, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. The protection and safety of our service members comes first to me. I spoke with the national security team yesterday. We, we all talked on the phone. I talked to the president, and he is concerned. And so last night, he directed that we begin a deliberate withdrawal of U.S. forces from the northern part of Syria. Joining us is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Defense Secretary Mark Esper said on Sunday that amid all the chaos that's growing in Syria, President Donald Trump has ordered all U.S. troops to withdraw from the northern region there so that they don't get caught up in a battle between Turkey and the, I I guess, formerly backed Kurdish fighters there. Ginger, tell us a little bit about what's going on there. This is really a chaotic situation unfolding in northern Syria. Um, As I'm sure many of your listeners are aware, last week, President Trump ordered Most of the United States troops in that area who have been helping the Kurds fight ISIS to leave the area, appearing to seemingly know that immediately afterwards, Turkey would invade that area and begin attacking the Kurds. We've seen that happen in the last week. And as a result, it's what some critics are saying are humanitarian violations, bombings, the death of civilians in that area. And we also understand, according to sources on the ground, that some U.S. troops have been put in peril and potential harm's way because of that Turkish bombing in that area where they were. As a result, U.S. Defense Secretary Esper said on Sunday that the president is having the rest of those remaining troops, he used the word evacuated from the region. Sources tell my colleagues at Reuters that more of those troops have already been removed. This is a sign that it has really quickly deteriorated in this area of northern Syria. There was also some Islamic state supporters and fighters that might have escaped some holding camps there. In northern Syria. Also, basically everybody's worst fears about this since the president announced that those first few troops were going to be withdrawing happened. The fighting is escalating. People are getting hurt. These ISIS supporters and fighters have escaped. And it really all seemed because the president gave the go ahead. He obviously the Pentagon and and the president is saying we never agreed for that for Turkey to to invade that way. But just taking that presence out kind of caused this whole thing. 
And we have to think about what this could be doing to the way people, not just in that part of the world, but across the world, view America. We see those Kurds in northern Syria crying as they hold their dead children, saying that America has abandoned them. This is the kind of sentiment that ISIS has used to recruit those who would do harm to the United States. And there's a lot of concern among the president's critics, both in his party and outside of it, that this type of sort of abandoning of our allies who we were helping the Kurds could have long-term negative ramifications for the United States. Let's move a little closer to home. On Friday, the president announced that Kevin McAleenan, who is the acting secretary for the Department of Homeland Security, was resigning. He said he wanted to move into the private sector, spend some more time with his family. But Kevin McAleenan was only there for about six months. He did get a lot of stuff done, you know, things that the president wanted high on his priority list. But from the beginning, it seemed like he wasn't really a good fit there. This agency, the Department of Homeland Security, it's a new agency created during the Bush administration, responsible for the border and for immigration, and is something that's so central to the president's agenda and what he wants to see get done. There has been tremendous tumult at the top of this agency, uh, lots of turnover. This latest episode is another sign that it is not as easy to do what the president wants you to do as he may hope. This most recent departure was tasked with trying to keep the number of those migrants at the border seeking asylum out of the country. He seems to have succeeded at that, but we did see in recent weeks a public display of frustration from him that he wasn't being listened to by the White House, by the rest of the administration, that there were things that he couldn't do. This is really sort of the forefront of where we see President Trump running into the fact that he can't get any of the laws changed to do what he wants new laws to do. He's trying to do it through his cabinet and his administration, and there are real limits on that, and it's it's pushing to the, to the end there. The last thing, Ginger, that I wanted to talk about, impeachment. The U.S. ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland, and continues to be a growing figure in this whole thing. He's going to testify before Congress on Thursday, and people are already saying that he's going to say that the president directed him to say that there was no quid pro quo in those text messages that surfaced. And then on Joe Biden's side, Hunter Biden, his son said he's going to step down from the board of a Chinese company he's working with. And if his dad becomes president, he's not going to work for any foreign owned companies. That's right. This is a story that continues to move at breakneck pace. It's near impossible to keep track of every really uh, development, is. but we're going to see many of them unfold this week. You mentioned Hunter Biden. He put really his first statement out responding to this whole thing, saying that he made no profit from that Chinese company, that he was going to be leaving their board, that everything he did with Ukraine was above board, that he wasn't talking business with his father when his father uh, was in office or even after. And then, as you said, testimony in Congress. Congress comes back from a two-week recess. Expect to see if you can imagine the volume getting even higher on impeachment discussions. And you referred to this Post report. We saw the Washington Post report over the weekend that Sondland intends to say when he texted another group of diplomats to say the president said no quid pro quo with the Ukrainians. He believed it at the time. And, and now he's not so sure that what the president said was correct. Yeah, this is the story you're going to hear about all week long leading up to his testimony. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
you got the war on drugs on the street. But once we get here, you don't care about the drugs. You know, it's ironic that you don't care about while we're in prison. When you on that drug, you pass out, you don't know what's going on. You know this killing people and you want to smoke. It. Joining us now is Romy Ellenbogen, reporter for the Miami Herald. Thanks for joining us, Romy. Happy to be here. There is a documentary that has been filmed called Behind the Barbed Wire. This is a documentary on the Florida prison system, and really nobody knew it was being filmed at the time that it was being filmed. It was made by an inmate. His name is Scott Whitney, and he had some pretty creative ways on how he was able to actually record this stuff, and it shed some light on the prison that he was held at specifically, and it shows all sorts of stuff. It shows really bad conditions, mold on the wall. It shows inmates doing drugs. It's just a really stark look into what it's like in that prison system there. Romy, tell us a little bit about this documentary, Behind the Barbed Wire. Scott has been filming since 2015. I think it started in around March. And only two years of footage was able to be successfully smuggled out, for lack of a better word, of the prison. The first two years of footage haven't been released or haven't been sent out. But he's been filming for four years, and he said nobody knew about it, and all of the inmates knew about it. All of right. the inmates that he was filming, they spoke to the camera. It was really the guards who either didn't know or when they confiscated his phone, didn't confiscate the footage itself that was stored on SD cards. So he successfully, for four years, captured daily life at Martin Correctional, which is a maximum security prison here in South Florida. And that is a very important distinction to make. You're right. The inmates did know. I think he even made little consent forms for some of the inmates to sign. But officials there, nobody knew of it. So how was he doing this? Because uh, obviously cell phones are contraband in the prison system there. How did he get these phones and how is he recording? Cell phones are contraband, but it's not uncommon for prisoners in Florida to have them or prisoners really anywhere. They can be brought in through a variety of methods. What I have heard from my sources and from experts is that more often it's brought in by guards. These people can make profits by introducing cell phones and having the inmates sell access to the phone use. So, I mean, there's a video where Scott had had his phone confiscated previously, and he records the next day on a different phone because he says, with money, you can get anything in this system. It's corrupt. But he also used more covert methods, which were cameras attached to glasses he had, or he hid the phone in a Bible where he cut out the O in holy and had the lens poke through, and he would carry his Bible around with him with the camera peeking out and record the day in and day out. There at the Miami Herald, you're the only news organization right now that has the majority of these videos. I think some of it has been posted on YouTube before, but you guys have a video, kind of a compilation of different things that he was filming Let's start with the drug use, because I think that is one of the craziest moments of the video, and then run down some of the other things that was happening. So the drug use, they call it TWAC. It's also called K2. What it is is it's a synthetic cannabinoid, and it's one of the more prominent drugs in the Florida prison system right now. It's the highest drug contraband that's confiscated. It's the leading cause of overdose deaths within the prison, which in last year, 2017 to 2018, I believe it was, skyrocketed to kind of a record high in a couple of years with 99 overdoses, if I'm remembering that number correctly. So drug use in the Florida prison system is well known. It's also a contraband that, again, could be brought in theoretically through visitation, through guards, other methods of it being introduced. I've heard that people sometimes just toss it over a prison fence. And the video shows people high on this K2 or the TWAC, and they're standing there like zombies. They're twitching. Some people are on the floor. There's a really graphic moment where a guy is laying in a pool of his own blood, it seems like. 
and they're all tripping out on this K2 stuff. A lot of the people who take this K2, because it could be laced with anything, suffer really dangerous side effects. They can get violent. It can cause them to overdose. We've had overdoses this year at other prisons in Florida. There's been overdoses at Martin, which has historically been a more violent prison. So you have this drug use and you have people who are overdosing and are being put back into their rooms, which he shows in the footage, that they're not being necessarily taken away on stretchers. In some of the clips where people are being wheeled away to medical care, he mentions, oh, they never come this fast. What has been the reaction from the prison themselves? The prison sent me the statement after publication of the story. It was Friday evening, and they've said that they're taking the video seriously. It's opened an OIG and Office of Inspector General. They've opened an investigation into the video, which isn't uncommon when video like this leaks. We had in Florida a video from Lake, another prison of guards beating an inmate that was released in July. And they opened an investigation into that, and guards were fired after that and arrested. They did say that the department uses every tool to mitigate violence and contraband. That is basically what they have said thus far. And they haven't mentioned anything else about any of the other conditions there, really, right? I mean, they're investigating themselves, I'm assuming. So the Office of Inspector General is independent, and they investigate Florida Department of Corrections whenever anything like this comes up. Romy Ellen Bogan, reporter for the Miami Herald, thank you very much for joining us. All right, thank you. A lot of Americans really like eating their meals alone. People who eat alone say that they enjoy the freedom of eating whatever they want and however they want. So if you want to grab those sweatpants, you certainly can do that. (laughs) Joining us now is Ellen Byron, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Ellen. Hi, nice to be here. We're going to be talking about solo dining. It's slowly becoming more of a new normal with the rise of the single person households and hectic family schedules. It's kind of getting rid of the stigma of eating alone. You look into the past and a lot of times people would work their schedules around dinner time, lunchtime. Now it's kind of the opposite. We're eating wherever we can because our lives are so hectic. Ellen, tell us a little bit about the rise of eating solo. Well, Americans now eat nearly half of their meals alone, and that has a lot of different players in the food industry watching this closely. And one of the more interesting parts that's grabbing their attention is the fact that a lot of Americans really like eating their meals alone. People who eat alone say that they enjoy the freedom of eating whatever they want and however they want. So if you want to grab those sweatpants, you certainly can do that. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, of course, some people point to the companionship of a smartphone and there's lots to be said to that. And other people, when they're very busy, just love this thrill of a moment's solitude. The other thing that is kind of taking away from this is more frequent meals. Instead of having one big lunch or one big dinner, people are just kind of snacking throughout the day. Some people are snacking throughout the day, and maybe that isn't always making healthy decisions. But other people are snacking throughout the day as a very deliberate step towards health. And so people are embracing smaller, more frequent meals as a health strategy. And so they're even motivated to eat on their own so that they're eating on their own schedule rather than trying to plan it around a partner or a family. Still others really tie being full or feeling satisfied with being their best self and their most productive self. So one food consultant talked to me about how decades ago we might 
just waited out until it was dinner time because the idea of eating between meals really wasn't done generations ago. You mentioned the food companies definitely take note. Obviously, they're always catering to new demographic sectors. What are they doing? Because one of the early targets that you mentioned in your article was cheesecake. They're making cheesecake mm-hmm. in, in uh, individual portions, but that's kind of the trend. Uh, you know, a lot of portable snacks too. Uh, gone are the TV dinners with sectioned off parts of the meal. It's all bowls now, everything all in one bowl so you can eat it a lot easier. There's all sorts of new ergonomics when it comes to bowl eating. So when you eat your meal in a bowl, first of all, you can do exciting flavor combinations because the food is all mixed up together. So people are drawn to that. But also when you eat in a bowl, you're more mobile because you can use just a fork. When you need a fork and a knife, food companies told me, it really requires a table because you can't balance as well while both hands are occupied. In the past year when they did these studies, single diners comprise 23% of all party sizes. And I think that's probably the most difficult one for people to really go handle alone. You have to, restaurants aren't always catering to the single diner. They want bigger groups, bigger checks, bigger tips, all that stuff. It can be, yes. Although if you look around, I have a hunch that you'll start to see more people eating alone in restaurants. So of course, The business traveler would often eat alone. And if you go to dining rooms and hotels, you'll see people eat alone. But in talking to high-end restaurants, I did hear that they are serving more solo meals. It could be because you are in town on business on your own and you don't want to miss out on trying that new restaurant or tasting that new chef that's getting a lot of buzz. And so you're willing to go even if you're only dining yourself. And then in talking to a restaurant in the Hudson Yards shopping center in New York, a restaurant called Queen's Yard, they found, and others have found this too, that treating solo diners well is a great way to generate repeat business. That if you really cater to and make a solo diner comfortable, they will come back. And part of the reason why is because they are more in tune during the meal towards a level of service, the quality of the food, because they're really just focused on their meal and their environment as opposed to being focused on conversation with someone else. I 100% agree with that. My wife was out of town on business for a big stretch of time. So I went out to a few restaurants by myself and I found myself doing all these things that you noted in the piece, you know, people watching that's fun, but you do notice more of the operations there. You do notice how the workers are working. And when I had a great time, I went back there right away because I felt comfortable. So definitely something to pay attention to for restaurants and for the diners themselves. Something else that players in the food industry are watching are the fact that millennial people in particular are embracing eating alone, that they enjoy it. They're comfortable doing it. Of course, there's always the opportunity for a social media post when you're dining alone too. (laughs) But the fact that so many young people are enjoying solo dining for the sake of solo dining means that we'll likely see even more efforts to try to cater to that particular meal occasion. Ellen Byron, reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. 
I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.